0: Now for the reading of God's word. This morning is the finale of James chapter one. So James one verses 22 to 27. And again, for this one last week, we'll encourage us to read it aloud together as James uh, would have liked us to. James one, 22 to 27. This is the word of the Lord. But be doers of the word and not hearers only Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would teach us this morning from your word. Would you convict and challenge and encourage and uplift us? We believe that the Bible is the living word of God. That's our hope for this next bit of time this morning. Would you remind us of the power of the Holy Scriptures? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the best-selling book in the world according to the Gen- the guinness book of world records the bible the christian bible it is impossible to know exactly how many copies have been printed in the roughly 1500 years since the contents were standardized but research conducted by the british and foreign bible society in 2021 suggests that the total number probably lies between five and seven billion copies Before the advent of the printing press, the number of Bibles in the world was very small. And so it took a lot of time and money to produce such a large book. But as the printing press was made in the Gutenberg Bible in 1454, the Bible just began to be printed and printed and sold and sold. And by 1815, the total number of Bibles printed numbered around $1.3 billion. It's a staggering amount of Bibles that are available to the world. In the 21st century, which is our current century, Bibles are printed at a rate of around 80 million every year. And you can find them just about anywhere now, particularly in our Western world. And so let's just turn this to you now for a second. Let's just give a little survey of your own life. Just think through a couple of questions here. How many Bibles do you personally have? how many churches can you go to within 10 minutes of your house that preach the gospel and the Bible as the word of God? Do you have technology like an iPhone or an iPad or a tablet that allows you to encounter God's word from home at any time that you want, with or without Wi-Fi? And do you have Christian friends who just informally naturally encourage you with words of scripture when you need it the most it's a pretty staggering grace and mercy that we've been given to have access to the living word of god however there is still very much a accessless world today that exists There are parts of our world, which we see every week with our Unreached People group prayer cards. It says access to scripture, and it's usually somewhere in the 0% to 1% category. There are still thousands of people that have no access to scripture or limited access to scripture. And so if you go on Wycliffe Bible Translators website, for instance, you'll find a whole host of statistics. I'll just give you a couple here. There's still 3400 I'm sorry, there are 3,495 languages with some scripture printed for them. That accounts for about 7 billion people in the world. However, there are still 67.6 million people that have no scripture, or at least the scripture is in progress and hasn't been printed fully for them yet. And there are still 1,892 languages that need translation or even just preparation work to begin the process of translation. And that's about 145 million people. Again, I'm looking at numbers here and I'm just staggered. Um, and I, I don't think it'd be super well worth my time to give you all these statistics because it just would overwhelm you. But I encourage you to Google the number sometime and find these statistics for yourself. The point is, the word of God is still lacking in many parts of the world, even though we have an abundance of it here. However, there are people who are devoting their lives to getting the word of God into people's mother tongue, into their natural language, and they do this for their living. Many of them raise their own finances to make it happen. There's a group that is collaboratively working together. It's bringing together all these different Bible translation projects they brought them together under one umbrella and they call it Illuminations. It's a movement of Bible translation agencies working together to translate the Bible into every language by the year 2033. It's 11 years from now and they think they can do it. Why? Because it's the word of God that we believe can change the lives of real people today. So I have another short video I'd like to show you. It's about two minutes long. She's gonna introduce you to a little bit more of that concept. So Kevin, if you could play that video and then we'll continue in a moment. I want know the plan we did for me. One billion people still don't have a complete Bible in their language. Illuminations is on a mission to change that. Sapila! They'll call me now. Make an eternal impact. For only $35, you can have a Bible verse translated in a language awaiting God's word. When I go home, when I speak to my parents, they speak the broken kind in English, you know. They don't speak the proper American way to speak. And then when you get the Bible, very, very different to kind of grasp onto. Tanglash Hoput, Cassat Stunshu, Egos, Egos, and Wangutat Nakshiganaku. Oh, Gosh, uh, Bible, I know, it's a of New Testament, a Gala Hush. nama ni tak khalakh Psalm 139 dinanak kina doch es la khab kiu los do o tuna hotaw la tok tama Is real power in the Word of God that 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 should move your heart uh, in a in a really profound way to see what the Word of God can do to a person, to their soul, to their heart. And so, this morning, as we kind of finish up this this uh, study in James chapter one, the the last section of this text talks about the Word of God. What do we do with it? So, we've been asking ourselves the question every week: what what do we do when? fill in the blank happens in our life. We've talked about trials. We've talked about temptation. We've talked about anger. We've talked about very practical things. And the thing that's coming to us today, which is so important for us as Christians or as people who are longing for answers in life, is what do we do when we hear the word of God, when the word of God is brought to us and encounters us and finds us out, seeks us out, and we hear it When we hear the word of God, what do we do? James has just a famous, famous answer for us. I'm gonna just unpack that for a few moments this morning. So look first at verses 22 to 25. James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, thus deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So that picture that I've shown for the last several weeks um, on the front of the bulletin, it's been on the screen of what do you do when something happens? It's a picture of a mirror. And I told you there was a mirror coming and we found the mirror this morning. And the mirror is is like someone who looks into it and forgets what they look like. And James's takeaway famous warning to us in his letter and to the original readers was, don't do that with the word of God. Don't be like someone who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like. Don't read it. And then do nothing with it because the word of God is living and active. So I'm going to give you a couple of practical points this morning of what to do with the word of God. The first big umbrella point is sit with the word of God. When the word of God encounters you like it is through this sermon now or it is when you open up your Bible, sit with it. Sit with it. And allow it to come to you and to speak to you. Let's talk about that a little bit more. I'm going to pull out one word here at the beginning, and the word is persevere. Did you see that in verse 25? The one who looks into the perfect law, the Bible, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What does that word persevere mean? How many of you have ever opened up your Bible really with good intentions to read it and to learn something from it. And within the first minute of reading it, either gotten really confused, really frustrated, really bored, or really disengaged right away. I think it happens to all of us at different times. And so the word here to persevere with the word of God is just another way to say, sit with it, give it a chance, continue in it. That word persevere, it's, Translated in other ways throughout the New Testament, the Greek word can also be translated continue or abide or rest in it or remain in it or be steadfast in it. When the word of God comes to you, stick with it, persevere in it, sit with it. A couple of weeks ago, I, I think I told some of you I had a chance to fly down south to visit my grandfather uh, just to help care for him with some of his medical needs And I was encouraged by my parents to just sit with him, just to be with him, just to enjoy his company for hours on end, having some conversation, listening some, but otherwise just sitting with him, in some sense persevering with him, to enjoy him, to smile with him, to savor that time together, because it won't last forever. And that is the encouragement with the word of God, is to sit with the word of God. Eugene Peterson has a famous book. I've used the word famous a couple of times this morning. I hope to make some of these things famous to you, maybe if you don't know they're already famous. But I don't recommend books a lot publicly from the pulpit, but this is one that I really would, because it's on how to read the Bible, how to encounter the word of God. And it has a memorable title to it. It's called eat this book. That's the title of the book, Eugene Peterson, eat this book. And you may be saying, what in the world does that mean to eat the Bible? Well, he uses this beautiful metaphor of his dog. He watched his dog one day chewing on a bone. And he said his dog would just wouldn't let that bone go for like a full week. He would just eat it, growl over it, chew it, to savor every last drop of any kind of taste he could get from it for a full week. And then finally, after a week, he buried it in the ground. But he got every last bit from that bone. And then Peterson discovers that, that there's a word in Isaiah 31 of a, of a lion that growls over its prey. Whenever a lion catches its prey, he's, again, same, same kind of thing, Savors it, he growls over it. And that word there for growling over his prey is the same word that we find in Psalm where it says, blessed is the man who meditates on his law day and night. That word meditate is actually the same word for a lion that growls over its prey or a dog that chews over its bone. So what are we to do with the word of God? We are to to savor it and to chew it and to sit with it just as a dog does with its bone. We are to meditate over God's word day and night. So just some unpacking of this idea of sitting with the word of God. Let me give you just some more practical things here. Slow down in your reading of the Bible. Many of us like to set goals for, I'm gonna read a chapter a day, or I'm gonna try to read through the whole Bible in a year even and it can very easily turn into a checklist or a, I'm gonna get my 15 minutes of Bible reading in today. But I encourage you that there is no hurry in reading God's word. There is no time limit. I know we have busy lives, but slow down. Savor just, just a verse if that's all you can take for that day. If it's a chapter, wonderful. But don't feel the need to complete a task. Sit with the word of God and slow down in your reading. Number two, see the Bible as a connected story. From Genesis to Revelation, it's an ongoing story. It's not a set of little short sayings that we can just pull out for certain times in our life and say, okay, I'm gonna remember that verse today. It's actually a connected story that we are invited into. And so there's all kinds of great resources. For our Wednesday night Bible study, we use the timeline, Casket Empty, which we've unpacked of what that means. Or you hear, maybe you've heard the creation, fall, redemption, new creation, un- unpacking of how God's word is connected as a story. Jesus is the central point and plot and central character of that grand story. Number three, and, I, and we've done this a little bit in the church the last few weeks, but there's something about reading the Bible out loud that gets it deep into our heart, maybe in a fresh way. So I encourage you to, even when you're alone, if it feels silly, to even just read a verse of scripture out loud because that has a way of getting deeper into us. Or there's a great movement of small groups that are happening now around the world called the public reading of scripture, which I'm toying around with the idea of maybe starting a group that the only thing we're going to do is meet and read the Bible out loud together. Not even really getting into discussing what it means, but just reading it. Because the public reading of scripture can be really powerful. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Sometimes we've, maybe we just overthink it sometimes. Maybe we should just read the Bible together in a group. And that's enough. Lastly, for this little section, and this would be my, my grandest hope if you were to walk away today and just remember this point cherish the word of God, love the word of God, find joy in the word of God, delight yourself in his words, love it, cling to it, adore it, long for it, enjoy it, savor it. Psalm 119 says, I love your law. It's sweeter than honey, the reader says. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You just tell a story of a, of a man named Frederick Beekner, who was a Christian writer uh, he had written a couple of books by this time in, in his life, uh, just novels. He's a, he's a well-known novelist as well. But he was sitting in a church in New York City one day in 1953 and listening to a pastor by the name of George Buttrick. And let me just read a, a, an excerpt from a, a book about this encounter that Frederick Buechner had. He said, one shattering line from the pastor lit the spark that set young Beekner's heart aflame. On November 15th, 1953, Buttrick preached a rousing sermon titled, He Refused to be King, proclaiming that if we are ever to crown Jesus as the king of our hearts, it will happen, quote, among confession and tears and great laughter, end quote. It was these final two words, great laughter, with their unequivocal invitation to joy that struck the flint in his heart. With those few syllables, something wholly animated burst open in Beekner. He says, for reasons that I have never satisfactorily understood, the Great Wall of China crumbled and Atlantis rose up out of the sea. And on Madison Avenue at 73rd Street, tears leapt up from my eyes as though I had been struck across the face because the word of God brings with it joy, and as the pastor said that day, great laughter. When you find yourself delighting in the law of the Lord, and in the words of scripture, a smile comes across your face, great laughter emerges, laughter in your soul, and it can transform your life. Psalm 16 says, in your presence there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Now the warning in this text is not to do a few things. Not to be a hearer only. Hearing here is something that is maybe intellectually driven. Someone who who hears the word of God as something to learn and as knowledge to gain or something to accomplish. It says here that that would be deceiving yourself. However, it says here that you should look into the word of God. It says here, the one who looks into the perfect law and perseveres will be blessed in his doing. So not just hearing, but looking deep into the word of God. That word, looking deep into, actually, the other place it's used in the Bible is when Peter arrives at the, at the tomb of Jesus on Easter morning. And he stoops down into the tomb to see if the body of Jesus is there. That's what that word looks into actually is. It's a stooping down to look into. That's what James is encouraging us to do with the word of God is to stoop down and to look into it. James challenges us not to forget what the Bible says, not being a doer who forgets, not being a hearer who forgets. And so it's it's easy to forget Knowledge, Like if I asked you, what did you learn in your 10th grade history class about ancient China that you learned for a quiz when you were 14 years old? You probably wouldn't remember it today, even though you memorized it for that quiz long ago. You maybe won't, won't remember that. But what you can remember is experiences, is emotions, is feelings you've had. And that's what the word of God is meant to do in us, not just to memorize who Nebuchadnezzar was, or not just to memorize what date did Jesus rise from the dead, but to feel that you're part of that story of redemption, uh, that salvation is for you. It's not just about memorizing the verse, it's about feeling it for yourself. And the Bible certainly is not not to be only used for reverence only. Again, one of the great joys we have as people today is that we have so many of, these, of this book. We have hundreds of these just around us all the time that we can find access to. And what happens over time is it becomes a classic book that is very well bound that we set up on a shelf that looks really good to look at from a distance. And it becomes a reverent, holy book that is revered, but maybe not transforming us anymore. James says, get the book off the shelf. Eat the book. And do something with it. That is the blessed person. When a person is blessed in that way, when they're transformed by the real words of God through the scriptures in community, then that gets into our second big point here. So after sitting with the word of God, chewing on it, meditating on it, dwelling on it, Next, the challenge by James is go, go, do it. Go do the word of God. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. The word of God beckons us to obedience As one person says, can can music that is not performed really be called music? That's kind of like the word of God for us. If the word of God is not acted upon, can it really be called the word of God? Can a Christian who doesn't do what the Bible says really be called a Christian? Can Beethoven's writing that's on a piece of paper that's not performed really be called music? Or is it called something else? The word of God beckons us to obedience as the front of your bulletin says, the quote, it says, the primary body part for taking in the word of God is not your ears, but actually your feet. You learn, God, not through your ears, but through your feet. Follow the rabbi, is what it says. Follow Jesus. The word of God picks us up after sitting with it and pushes us into a needy world, beckons us to obedience the purpose of the word of god is full a couple of things here the word of god the, its purposes as it says here in the text is to refine your tongue remember we talked last week about anger and instead being a countercultural people of gentleness how do you how do you do that the word of god alone can do that the word of god refines your tongue it turns you into a person who then Takes what you take in and speaks it back in gentleness to the world. That, that it's it's an interesting metaphor here. It says if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, that word bridle. If, I don't know if any of you guys are horse people. Um, my my youngest daughter is getting into horses a little bit. So there's a metaphor here about horses. Horses you know, wear a bridle with a bit in its mouth, and that's how you guide a horse. Is this bit goes into the mouth, and you you're sitting behind, and you're you're moving the bridle and the straps that's moving the mouth. And that's how the horse goes. And so we too are to be guided by the word of God in a similar kind of way. It's kind of a interesting metaphor. And you can imagine that if if someone is sitting up on a horse and doesn't know how to use that very well, it's a really painful experience for the horse. It can really hurt their mouth. And same too for us with the Bible. If we don't know how to handle the Bible well together, it'll be painful actually for us it can be used deceptively. It can be used and not accomplish its purposes. But if the word of God is being used well, if the Holy Spirit is directing us, it refines us and guides us. The word of God teaches us truth and life. The word of God sends us into the world. I've been watching a lot more TV recently because of like the Super Bowl and March Madness is coming up. I'm a sports fan so I've been watching more commercials recently during the middle of these games. There's a commercial that came up recently by a travel company and it's a really kind of moving commercial, it shows all these different objects that people buy or acquire over the course of their lifetime and then finally at the very end it, it pans into this beautiful beach scene and it says memorably at the very end, Do you think any of us will look back over our lives and regret the things we didn't buy? Or will we regret the places we didn't go? And that's what the word of God encourages us to do as well, to go with the word of God, to take it into a needed world. The last quick point here is the point on religion. This is about the only place in the Bible where you'll find that modern word religion. Verses 27 and 28 says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I ask the question, what is true religion? What is true practicing out of your beliefs? The next series we're going to get into starting next week, and we're going to be in there up until Easter Sunday, is a series called True Spirituality. And we're going to unpack each week a different aspect of spirituality as the world sees it and see how the cross of Jesus transforms that into the truest version of itself. I think we're going to learn a lot through it. I've learned a lot just by beginning to study it. True religion really is pretty simple, as James puts it. He says, true religion is visiting orphans and widows, the abandoned, the neglected, the least of these, those who have experienced pain, those who have been abandoned by society, those who are struggling to make ends meet. And the other hand of it, true religion is keeping yourself unstained from the world. Not allowing yourself to be overcome by what the world sees as right or as good or as purposeful. to Keep yourself unstained from it, to be holy and to look to Jesus. True religion is informal, but not unscripted, as James would say. Informal in the sense of true religion is not coming to church on a Sunday morning week after week and performing the ritual of being here. True religion is not perfecting a a daily quiet time just for the sake of doing it. True religion is not just serving the poor for the sake of serving the poor. True religion is informal in the sense of having your heart transformed from the inside out so that all those things you still do, but you do so as an overflow of the love of God that he's poured out to you. You've been so transformed by his grace and mercy that now your informal life, the way you interact with the gas station attendant, the way that you do your grocery shopping, all that is transformed by the love of God. But it's not unscripted. There is a plan of redemption that God is putting forward and we are part of that story. The church is plan A in the story of God. So as we finish, I'm gonna leave you with a, an image of a bee. It's almost spring, You're getting, hopefully. <laughs> it's New England, right? You're gonna start seeing bees come out in the next few weeks. Did you know that a single bee lives less than 40 days on earth? It visits about a thousand flowers And one single bee itself produces less than a teaspoon of honey. But for the bee, that is their life. That is the call that they've been given from their creator to produce that much honey, to live that short of a time, but to give the world the sweetness of honey. Thank God for bees, right? And again, the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, Your word, O Lord, is sweeter than honey. God led his people into a land flowing with milk and honey. And by his word, he is leading us into true life today and into an eternal paradise forever in heaven, where we will see it all made right what to do when the word of God comes, sit with the word of God, go with the word of God, and be truly religious in the way that Jesus has taught us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the blessing that we have in this country and in this city of having so many copies of the Bible available to us in our mother language. We thank you for people in our lives that help us to understand it, that encourage us with it. We pray that we would take up that responsibility and find joy in your word. And for those that do not have your word, Lord, we pray that you would raise up workers and translators to get the word of God into the mother tongue of people around the world because we think that will change the world for good. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between soul and joint. Lord, may it do that to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.